All right. Good evening again. Let's turn our Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. I'm excited about Daniel. I'm excited about today's lesson because it's a lot of history. And unlike Pastor Justin Turner, I actually study history because I love history. And I love it, actually. Social studies came to me. Some of you guys like, I just, math just comes to me. Like, science just comes to me. That was me in social studies. All the social studies that I could think of, I loved. And it was always a passion. So, as we go to Daniel chapter 1, um, title of today's message is Conquest of Jerusalem. Conquest of Jerusalem. Have you ever heard the question, why do bad things happen to good people? How many of you heard that before? It's an interesting question because the premise of the question to begin with is an error. This question basically calls the character, calls into question the character of God. See, what does the Bible tell us about God? Well, he is loving. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Only a loving God would do that. The Bible says he's also sovereign. 1 Timothy 6.15. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. What else about the character of God, of who he is? He is holy, Matthew 5, 48. Therefore, you are to be holy as our Heavenly Father is holy. Perfect. Therefore, you are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So that's the character of, of God. What, is, what does the Bible say about the character of man? Or about man itself? Man is evil. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, not even one. 3.21 tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Genesis 6, 5 through 6 says... Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So that's, we know God and now we know man. So can we still say, why do good people suffer? Is that a valid question? We just read there is no good people. So why do we suffer in this life? Why do bad things happen to us sometimes? Well, the consequences of that is because of sin and the fall. Genesis 3.3. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. So would you agree that the bad things that happen in this world are a just and righteous result of man's violation of disobeying God? So what is man's responsibility when it comes to this suffering? Well, our responsibility is to trust God during these trials, not understand why they occur. See, events in the world are all sovereignly governed by a God who is perfectly loving and holy in his administrations of all things. Now, this, it can be hard to reconcile these truths, right? That suffering is, is real and that God is loving, holy, and just. And I want you to know that suffering is real. And we're not going to downplay suffering. It happens. And I, and I don't want you to think that I'm downplaying it. 
But I want you to know that even suffering falls under the umbrella of God's sovereignty. And it is used by him for the sanctification of those who belong to him for his glory. Romans 8, 28 through 29. You've, you've heard it before. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For what? For those whom he knew he foreknew, he also predestined to what? Become conformed to the image of his son. We go through these difficult times, and God uses these difficult times for us to be conformed to the image of his son. And that should, be, and that should bring joy and blessing and happiness to your life. Can anybody think of the greatest example of God allowing evil to occur for the greatest good of humanity? Yes. Okay. Who else? Je yes, Jesus, like the Son of God. He, he allowed God. He allowed the Son of God. He allowed Jesus, which is God, to be crucified for your sins and mine. And what was the greatest good that that brought? Salvation to those who repent and believe. So what can bring us comfort during these difficult times? A proper understanding of God's wisdom when we face trials. A proper understanding of God's wisdom. Now, is this come natural to us? No, because we're humans and our minds are finite and we think we know better. Thank God. But trusting in God's wisdom is the only way you'll obtain peace, the peace that is promised to you in Philippians 4.7. So as we begin to study the book of Daniel, many of you might have this question. How could a loving God allow his own people to be captured and taken into exile by the Babylonians? As explained earlier, our God who is loving, sovereign, perfectly holy, allowed this suffering for the greater good of his people. Because in this case, their sin needed to be punished and they needed to know and acknowledge Yahweh and return to him once more. Let's read today's passage. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some other of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his gods, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. The book of Daniel covers all the 70 years that the, Ju that the kingdom of Judah is in captivity, were held captive in Babylon, 605 to 536 B.C., we know that Daniel himself writes this book as Jesus affirms this in Matthew 24, 15, when he says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation that Matt taught us on, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. So Daniel wrote this book. And again, the Jews were exiled to Babylon as God's judgment, a form of judgment from God. He allowed this to happen to his own people. Why? Well, Long continue sin without repentance. Sins including idolatry, rebellion, child sacrifice, trusting in foreign powers to be delivered instead of God. That's why they were taken into captivity. 
during captivity, what does Daniel do? He's the mouthpiece of God to the Jews while they're captive and also to the Gentiles. He was kidnapped from his royal family of Judah around when he was 15 years of age. He was commissioned to the king's court to be brainwashed into the Babylonian way. So that way when the Jews were coming in, he was able to assist in their transition in their assimilation to the Babylon culture. He served the two kings, he served two he served the kings of two world powers, the Babylonians and the Mede and Persian empires. He served as a confidant and he served as a prophet. Other prophets that warned the people before and during the exile, can anybody know anybody know of them? What other prophets warned the Israelites about the exile? Or during the exile, anybody? Fox? Jeremiah was definitely one of them. They got three more. One begins with an E. Ezekiel. Another one begins with an H. And it has a lot of K's in the name. Habakkuk. And then Z. It is not Zechariah, it's Zephaniah, yeah. Today we'll specifically look at Jerusalem's conquest in verses 1 and 2. In verse 1, we're going to look at when it happened. And in verse 2, we're going to look at why it happened. Our main idea for tonight, the Lord is sovereign over all of human history. The Lord is sovereign over all of human history. The Lord is sovereign always. He's sovereign over human history. He's sovereign over your life. He was sovereign in the past. He's sovereign now. And he's sovereign in the future. He is always in control. He will always be sovereign. And that is the theme of this book as we read it. We're going to see the sovereignty of God throughout each chapter of this book in all aspects. God's sovereignty. Let's begin with when Jerusalem was captured. In verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Who was King Jehoiakim? Well, he was one of the sons of Josiah. Do you guys remember Josiah? He was one of the last great reformers, one of the few great kings that the kingdom of Judah had. So when Josiah dies... The people of Israel, they actually take his younger brother, Jehoahaz, and they put him as king. But then when Josiah was killed by Necho, the Egyptian pharaoh, he didn't like it. Three months later, he imprisoned him. And Necho, which is the Egyptian pharaoh, he now places the older brother, Jehoiakim, instead as king in 609 BC. Now, we're going to follow this if you can see it, we're going to start with these, the last few kings of the kingdom of Judah, okay? And if you can see here, we're Josiah and Jehoahaz, and then we're in Jehoiakim, all right? That's where we are currently. We're going to go back a little bit later, but that's where we are currently in this verse. During the first three years of Jehoiakim's kingdom... He basically taxed the people a lot. Why? Because 
the Pharaoh, he wanted tribute. Like, you want me to be your ally? You want my protection? Okay, you're going to have to pay me tribute. So he heavily taxed the people of Judah to the point where he was able to pay the tribute, but also he was able to build a palace for himself. It didn't go well with him. The people didn't like that. So what happens? After three years into his reign, King Nebuchadnezzar, he defeated the Egyptians. He defeated Necho, making all of Egypt's subjects his own. So Necho had the subjects, which was the kingdom of Judah, right? But now Necho was defeated by the king of Babylon. So now every subject that was under Egypt and Pharaoh are now under Nebuchadnezzar. This is where Daniel and his friends are taken from Judah to Babylon. Are we, are we clear with that? So I want to give you a good context. So that's where he goes after three years. Now, three years later, so six years now into Jehoiakim's kingdom, he decides to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, disregarding the advice of, the advice of Jeremiah the prophet, and he's, he's punished by God. The Lord punishes him by having have Babylonian troops inflict military defeats. And at the same time this is going on, Egypt is actually able to resist the Babylonians, but cannot help their friend Judah. And at this time, having regrouped, the Babylonians returned to Jerusalem in 597. There's three phases of the exile of the Judeans to Babylon. The first phase is when we talked about Daniel and his friends, the initial people coming the, the, the young men going, very few vessels that we're talking about. The second phase is in this phase where we just met in 597. And this, is ha this happened under Ezekiel as many people are taken and many objects of the temple are taken. And then lastly, the king of Babylon, he put Zedekiah in charge. And Zedekiah didn't learn either, right? He, he saw how Jehoiakim rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar and lost. He decides to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Obviously, what do you think is going to happen? He loses. And this is where the final stage happens in 566 BC where the city of Jerusalem is decimated. It's destroyed. And this is where Jeremiah comes in as a weeping prophet because he's able to see the fall, the complete fall of Judah. Three phases. Today, we're in phase one. Are we good? Okay. So who was this Nebuchadnezzar? Well, he was a son of Nebuchadnezzar. That was his dad. He was the king of the largest empire at the time. And God would bring judgment to his own people through this powerful king. Where did the king go? Where is Nebuchadnezzar here in Daniel? Where did he go? Jerusalem. It's the capital kingdom of Judah. It was built as a fortified city. That, that way, that, that's why in the third exile, it was kind of hard for them to defeat them. But eventually, there's so much. Uh, so the Euphrates River ran right through uh, the city. And basically, they were able to live off and hold on. But then the Babylonians were able to dig off, dig up like a, a kind of like a, a dam where they they took the river away somewhere else so that way the people inside the city didn't have any supplies. And basically they just took them out that way because it was a fortified city. 
And what did King do? What is what did King Nebuchadnezzar do to the city of Jerusalem? He besieged it. The Hebrew for besiege, Salah siege, to surround, to force, to give up by stopping movement in and out. Now, I want you to remember something. This is not a story to highlight the grand power of the Babylonian Empire. It's to highlight the power of God who gave success to the Babylonian king and used him as an instrument to punish his own people. Who places kings and takes them away? God. Who allowed Babylon to get to the, the grandiose of its, high, of its time? God. Who is allowing this kingdom to take his own people captive? God. Don't ever forget that. As we're reading all through this book, God is always in control. It did not catch him by surprise. He is allowing this to happen. And what is your question? What's well, a good question to ask? Why? Why? That's a good question. Why is God allowing his own people to be captured by a foreign Gentile pagan nation? That's a good question, right? We're going to focus on that a little bit here, okay? And we're going to go through a lot of kings, all right? And we're going to see why God allowed this to happen. Verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. Along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Guys, sometimes we, we read this or we, we can overlook. And these first three words... Basically, is the theme of Daniel. The Lord gave. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. God is in control. The Lord willed for this to happen. Stephen Miller notes, Daniel's God was not, was not asleep, but in full command of the situation, is indicated by the name for deity selected by the author. In verse 2, the word translated Lord is not Yahweh, represented by the NIV, but Adonai, which the fact that it's significant because it means owner, ruler, sovereign is the meaning of the word that he chooses. doesn't use Yahweh gave him into his hands. No, he used the Lord gave him. The ruler, the supreme being, the supreme God gave him into his hands. God allowed it. He allowed it as a form of punishment for their idolatry, for practicing the customs that the people around them lived. He allowed it because of their rebellion. But this God is also merciful. And he warned them many times throughout the history and the existence of Israel to turn their hearts back to Yahweh, to not fall into the customs of the people where they would conquer in. He warned them from the beginning. Look at what God said to Moses. So we're here in Deuteronomy. In chapter 28, Moses is giving his last speech to the people. He's not going into the promised land. And chapter 28, if you want to read it on your own, is basically about blessings and curses. If you do this, you will be blessed. If you do this, you will be cursed. Among those blessings and curses is if you follow me, you'll be blessed. If you worship only me, You'll be blessed. If you fall into idolatry, you will be cursed. If you fall into the prices of other people, you will be cursed. 
And then in verse, in chapter 31, the Lord is now speaking to Moses directly before he dies. And look at what God says to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, behold, Deuteronomy 31, verses 16 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers and his people will arise and play the harlot with the strange gods of the land into the midst of which they are going and will forsake me and break my commandment, which I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day and I will forsake them and hide my face from them for they will be consumed and many evils and troubles will come upon them. So they will say in that day, is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? But I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they will, they will do. For they will turn to other gods. So this is something that they were warned by. Moses tells them. They ignore him. And from the time of Joshua all the way to the final kings of Judah. When the Israelites, Israelites live in peaceful times because they are obeying God's commands. And when they're living through cruel kings and foreign cruel kings is because of their idolatry and their rebellion. Now, you can say, okay, so if it's been a couple hundred years happiness, why the exile? Why now? Well, by this time, their disobedience and rebellion reached new heights. And God decided that he would discipline those he loves. He needed to return them back to himself. And as we all can relate to, isn't it funny how sometimes it is through difficult trials where we cling to the Lord like there's no tomorrow. It is when we're going through things that we don't understand and that we can only hope and trust that there is a sovereign God that's in control. And we, our prayer life is great. Our reading the Bible, our essentials are like every day, perfect. And that's the sad part of our human condition. We tend to forget the blessings of God when bad things come. And that's the history of God's people. The first direct prophecy to the people of Judah of being taken into captivity by Babylon comes from the prophet Micah. Micah 4, chapter 10. Sorry, Micah chapter 4, verse 10. Writhe and labor to give birth, daughter of Zion, like a woman in childbirth. For now you will go out of the city, dwell in the field, and go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. See, Micah was prophet to three kings of Judah. He was prophet, he was prophet to Jotham, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. The first three kings that, were, that we see in this list... That's where Micah comes in. About 137 years, he prophesied what would happen because of their rebellion. Now, you might ask, what did these kings do that provoked God to tell them if they didn't repent, they would be turned over to the Babylonians? Now I need you to open your Bibles because we're going to be flipping a lot through some pages. We're going to stay in 2 Kings. But go to 2 Kings chapter 15. 2 Kings chapter 15. And be ready to flip pages because we're going to go through a short history lesson of all these kings, of what they did, so we can understand. Now, I, want, I, need, to do, I need you to do me a favor, though. As we read the sins of these kings, it's very easy to do what? Remember when we were in Matthew? What was it easy to do when we were reading about the Pharisees? 
them. How could they? Wow. Losers. Don't they know? Don't they understand? We're, 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 we're inclined to do those things. But what I want you to do is I want you to pray that the Lord reveal any hidden sins in your own heart, in my own heart. So as we read this and you see something that you're struggling with, that you can ask the Lord to help you repent from it. This is not a, how could they do that type of lesson. This is a, let's check our hearts lesson. And I purposely chose all these kings so you can see that what they struggled with back then is not something, it's not, it's a, it's the same context, same sin, different context. Idolatry is everywhere, guys. Don't think just because you don't worship a Buddha, you're not an idolater. We're going to get to that in the application, but have and pray that the Lord, and I pray, and Lord, reveal to us, Lord, in our hearts any sin that we have as we read these passages that you can help us repent from. Okay, so we start with the first king, Jotham. Second Kings, verse chapter 15, verse 34 to 35. What did he do? Well, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. So even though he did a lot of good things, he still didn't take away the high places is where the pagans would worship their God, especially Baal, okay, in these high places, and he didn't take them away. Now we're going to move to King Ahaz, and this guy was pretty wicked. 2 Kings chapter 16. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 2. The word of God says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and he even made his son Passed through the fire, meaning he sacrificed his own son to Molech, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from them before the sons of Israel. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and on the hills under every green tree. This guy made people, he himself practiced idolatry and made others practice idolatry. Second Chronicles chapter 28. So Two books over. Second Chronicles and Second Kings are parallel. Second Chronicles chapter 28, verse 19. For the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel. For he had brought about a lack of restraint in Judah and was very unfaithful to the Lord. Now in the time of his distress, this same king Ahaz became yet more unfaithful to the Lord. What did he do? He sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, and said, because the gods of the kings of Aram helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they became the downfall of him and all Israel. Moreover, when Ahaz gathered together the utensils of the house of God, he cut the utensils of the house of God in pieces and closed the door of the house of the Lord and made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem. In every city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked the Lord, the God of his fathers, to anger. Wicked guy, right? 
idolatry, committed other, forced others to have, to become idolatry, to, to practice idolatry. So that was Ahaz. Now we move to Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king. He did a lot of good things. But there was one thing towards the end of his life that he did. His pride came into play. 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. At that time, Baradak, Baladin, a son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah has been sick. So Hezekiah was sick. The king of Babylon at the time, which was not his enemy, sends him a present. And what does Hezekiah do? Hezekiah listened to them and showed them all his treasure, all his treasure house, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious oil and the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion, that Hezekiah did not show them. At the end of his, of his reign, God prospered Hezekiah. He was obedient to, to the Lord. But at the end of the day, Hezekiah let pride come to him and thought that he had something to offer. And you know what? Look at, the, look at my treasure. Look at what I have accomplished. Not, not a good thing. So this is Micah prophesizing the first time. And these are the reasons why initially is for the first time the mention of, if you guys don't repent, you guys are going to Babylon. You will be captured by other people. 137 years of warning. And the people of Judah remained in their sin. How do I know? Because the next kings do the same. Manasseh, 2 Kings, chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hephzibah. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord disposed before the sons of Israel. For what did he do? He rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal, and he made an Asherah as Ahab king of Israel had done. Ahab was another evil king. That's the husband of Jezebel. So Ahab, Ahaz, bad kings. And worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord. So in the, in the temple, he, he built altars for, for false gods, which, of which the Lord has said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. For he built altars for the hosts of heaven in two courts of the house of the Lord. He made his son pass through the fire. Again, sacrificing his own children to false gods. He made practice witchcraft and used divination and dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. That was Manasseh. Now I go to Ammon or Ammon. Your choice. 2 Kings chapter 21. Again, we're reading this, really focusing on not, oh man, these sinful kings. How could they? Did they not know better? We're reading this, I was like, Lord, show me what's here that I don't have to practice, that I can learn from other people's sinful mistakes. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Meshulhameth, the daughter of Haruz of Jodba. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had done. 
For he walked in all the way that his father had walked and served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. So he forsook the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Now we have Josiah, great reformer. He found the law. He made people obey the law. He instituted the Passover. Great reformer. And you would think a good leader, people would follow him. Not necessarily. Because look at what Jeremiah prophesies under the rule of Josiah. Jeremiah 25. This is the last portion we're going to read from the Bible together today. From your Bible. Everyone turn to Jeremiah 25. And for those that are so confused of, well, I still don't get it. Why did the Lord allow his people to be uh, taken into exile? Here you will find a direct answer of why. Jeremiah 25. Verses 1 through 11. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, these 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear, saying, what, is, what are these prophets saying to you? Turn now everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds, and dwell on the land which the Lord has given to you and your forefathers forever and ever. And what? Do not go after other gods to serve them and to worship them. And do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands, and I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families to the north, declares the Lord. And I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and against his inhabitants and against all these nations round about. And I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp, this whole land will be in desolation and horror. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. This is pretty harsh. 35 years they were prophesizing this before Jehoiakim comes into power. 35 years of Jeremiah pleading, begging them. And they wouldn't repent. And they wouldn't believe. So hopefully now you understand why God allowed the Babylonians to capture Judah's kingdom. They were a rebellious people. They followed the leadership of their kings, which were wicked. And that is why the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. Nebuchadnezzar's hands. But what else happened? Verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. 
And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his gods, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Remember what, what did Hezekiah do? Remember, Mr. I'm, I serve you, Lord. I'm great. And towards the end, I get all prideful. What did Hezekiah do? He showed him his what? Treasures. <laughs> he showed him everything. <laughs> everything. There was nothing hidden. So it was only normal. And the, and, and the Babylonians, they're known for taking good notes. You know how I know? The three wise men. 400 years later, they end up where Jesus is. How? Dusty did a great sermon on this, remember? The only reason why we know they came from Babylon was because probably Daniel told them about it. And they kept notes and they kept that history and they were there. So what do the Babylonians do? They come and they take these vessels and take it to their own. What was the purpose of taking these religious objects from one house of God to another house of God? Well, Ralph Davis, he explains that when people take the religious objects from one house and take them to another house and they parade him as they're doing it, it was basically telling the people who were being conquered, look, where is your God? He's nowhere to be found because we're not only conquering you, we're taking away these precious vessels from the temple and we're still alive. And look, we're going to bring it to our temple, which we are the, we have the true God because they believe that they had the true God because of their success. They were such a, was a great empire that the gods were behind them. But do you think that God, in a sense, was worried about what people were thinking of his people at this time? you think that God wasn't in control even while they were doing this? Because even in Jeremiah 25, you can read it on your own. He then talks about the destruction of Nebuchadnezzar, or Babylon, not Nebuchadnezzar, or Babylon, for what they did. So he uses them to bring punishment to his people, but then he punishes them for punishing his people. God doesn't need to show anything to anybody. He let this humbly happen. God, take, take those vessels. But look at the beauty of God's sovereignty and providence. Because what would happen 70 years after? When Ezra and Nehemiah would come and build the temple again, those vessels were still there. And they were allowed, some, the majority of them, or some of them, were allowed to bring them back to the temple of God. Shinar is basically another name for Babylon. And for those that love interesting facts from the Bible, that's also where the Tower of Babel was in Shinar. So as we come to an end, there are a lot of things that we can come and learn and apply to our lives about what we've learned today. Let me. It didn't update here. No, not one note. Okay. Lord, this is what you want. I'll do it. All right. Number one. Turn away from your idols. Turn away from your idols. Anything that takes you away from God is considered an idol. For example, for those that don't have a consistent, quiet time with the Lord, what do you do throughout the day for fun? 
extracurricular activities other than your schoolwork or if you're a leader of work or whatever is your main function of the day. You do homework, you play video games, you go on social media, you play sports, you watch sports, you watch TV, you talk to your friends, you go over your friend's house. Are all these things bad? No. No, they're not bad. But what happens when you do these things instead of the essentials? Because you rather do this than what God has commanded. What do you think that is? Idolatry. It's, it's, it's a form of idolatry either. The Bible calls us to love God with all our hearts, our minds, and our souls. And he comes first. We do these things not at the expense of what God has said. So if any of you struggle, take heart. Look, you're, if you are in Christ, you're not a slave to sin. You are not. The Holy Spirit indwells in you if you are in Christ. And as you pray and as you read, the word does its work in your life and you're able to walk in the spirit. And you're able to ask God to help you read consistently. Pray consistently. Go to church, serve the Lord. The essentials. Number two, don't rebel to his commandments. His ways are the way. There's no, I, I, I want to believe the Bible here, but I don't want to believe it there. I want to obey here, but I don't think I should obey there. No, no, it's you obey his commands. Don't be like the Israelites, the, the Judeans, where they didn't obey his commands and wanted to be their own God and think that they were right. What about looking at the consequences that sin brings to many of the people around you? Some of you maybe have family members that are not in Christ and have made choices that only lead to negative consequences. Learn from that. Or maybe some of you have friends that are believers that fell into some sort of sin. And yes, the Lord forgives the sin, but there's consequences to every sin that you commit. How about we learn from others? You know what's sad is the kingdom of Judah was the southern kingdom. And who was the northern kingdom? Israel. Who captured the kingdom of Israel? Anybody? Begins with an A. The kingdom of Assyria. The Assyrians. Guess when that happened? 722 B.C. How many years before the captivity? 722 to 605. 100 and something? For 100 and something years, they saw their neighbors in the north be treated harshly, led into captivity, and they still didn't repent. We also saw that for years they had prophets to warn them and they ignored them. What did they do to Jeremiah? They threw him in a cistern. They put him on, in the stocks. They placed him in jail. They did everything to Jeremiah except listen to his warnings and repent. Don't do that to your parents. <laughs> Don't do that to your leaders. Don't do that to the loved ones that are telling you, guys, that way is not right. 
We are called to love one another and each other. We are called to hold each other accountable if we are, if you are in Christ. It's like those that haven't placed their faith in Christ. It's the same thing. You're like all these kings. Think about it. How many, how many years have you been coming to church and hearing the gospel? A lot. And you're that king that doesn't repent and believe. You're those people that are sacrificing your kids to Molech, that are offering sacrifices to Baal and, to, and, and all these things when you don't repent and believe. The gospel message is clear and has been preached to you every Wednesday and every Sunday since you've been here. And for those that still haven't bowed the knee to God, I want you to know that this is a picture of you. It was a picture of me before Christ. It was a picture of everyone before Christ. Repent and believe in the gospel. Another application, let's trust in the sovereignty of God. Trust in the sovereignty of God. Sometimes you might think, okay, Hondo, that's, they kind of like, they deserve that, right? But what happens when you don't deserve things? It's an unexpected illness, an unexpected death in the family, an unexpected situation, trials. What happens then? Well, we come back to the beginning. We need to understand that those are just consequences of a fallen world. But instead of thinking of why things happen, let's meditate on who is in control. How a perfect, loving, sovereign God will use anything for his glory, including these trials that you're going through. And look how God is so amazing and awesome. And, I, and I, I try not to use the word awesome a lot because it's such, it loses its effect. But when you think of God as awesome, who is able to orchestrate? He doesn't cause sin. He doesn't cause you to sin. But he, he orchestrates the consequences of the sin that happens against you all at the same time for your good. Only God can do that. So when we go through these difficult times, our job is to meditate on who he is. Loving, holy, sovereign. Nothing happens by accident. Whatever you're living through right now is God ordained from his infinite wisdom. And if you can understand that, and if you can just for a moment think of that, that'll give you the peace that you so desire during those hard times that no one else can help you with. Lastly, don't forget his provision. How many times has God, have, has God not come through? He doesn't have to, but he has. In his grace, he has. There has been a healing in your family. There has been a restored marriage. There has been all these answered prayers, and he, he comes through. And what's the first thing that happens when we come and face a trial in our lives? We become feeble, and we forget God's sovereignty, and we forget God's provision. Let us not do that. When those times come, let us thank God for his provision and know, Lord, you will come through. You always have. 
But let's say he doesn't. Like Jeremiah. <laughs> Jeremiah died in exile. He never saw the end. He never returned to Jerusalem. But what do we have? What hope do we have here on earth in this moment if you are in Christ? What hope do you have? You have everything in Christ. You will spend eternity with your father forever. Falls into comparison to your circumstances right now. Even if you had that circumstances for the rest of your life. You have hope in Christ. And that hope is our opportunity to share with others in this world that desperately needs it. Amen? Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we, we thank you, Lord, and we're so sorry. We're sorry when we think that we know what's best for us. That we, know what should we, that we know what we should be living through right now, God. Sorry for not trusting in your infinite wisdom. Sorry for not trusting in your loving character and your perfection. Sorry that we become like Adam and Eve when we want to become like you and tell you what to do and what we want to do. Father, Allow us to remind and remind us always that we're your bondservants, Lord. We're your slaves, God. You are our master. We want to obey you. We want to trust in you and know that you are in control. In every aspect of our lives, you are in control. And the good and the bad, you are in control. I pray, Lord, that if there's any youth here that is going through a hard and difficult time, I pray, Lord, that they can meditate on your character, that they can meditate on your goodness, of your kindness, of your perfection. And as we read this great book of Daniel, let us always see your awesome sovereignty in human history and in our lives. And you know, we pray. Amen.